Hello, Changemaker. Welcome to the Innovation Room. A place for business leaders, change agents, and change champions. Anyone who wants to know where digital transformation is taking us. A place that sparks ideas. And explores what's really possible with software and technology. Ready? Let's see what's happening. The modern world is a complex beast, and no one mind can hope to tame it. On this quest, we face two big challenges. First, the world is constantly changing, and so does technologies and customers' expectations from businesses. So they need to be fast in responding to these changes to thrive. Second, to achieve the above, we need to take full advantage of the diverse workforce we have to digitally evolve our businesses. The impact of these is growing the liminal spaces that leaders need to be able to navigate their businesses in. I have a special guest today in the innovation room, a storyteller, someone who can turn light into heat. And he has some very powerful way of looking at these challenges and the potential solutions to bring excellence to business digital evolution journey. I am Somaye, CEO of Geeks. Please join me in the innovation room with Lazar Zamek. Hi, Laz. Thank hey. you so much for coming to the Innovation Room. It's Very pleasure. welcome. Do you want to start with a bit of introduction? I know you have a very amazing portfolio of uh, experiences, but um, for our benefit of our audience, if you can do it, an introduction. Well, thank you very much. So I've uh, been a communication brand strategist for many, many years here in London. And then the last two and a half years uh, of my kind of professional career in a way that uh, I was doing consulting, I've spent uh, as um, head of brand strategy for Google's, well, I would call it super, crea- super creative and super exclusive uh, creative think tank called the Zoo. It used to be called the Zoo, now it's Creative Works uh, here in London, uh, catering for Western Europe clients. Uh, and working with some some of the Google's biggest clients in the world, I mean global CMOs, brand directors. So it was a kind of a fantastic experience and vantage point to have. And then I left that and decided to uh, completely change my life, completely change my career. So I went into teaching. So at the moment I teach at three universities and two business schools uh, Europe-wide, including the Goldsmiths University here in London. And uh, I really kind of enjoy uh, passing on the knowledge in my experience from working with clients. Brilliant. So most of your um, the people you work with in consultancy capacity or university teaching them, um, they are business leaders or senior executives in the businesses. So um, your insight, I think, would be extremely valuable in the topic we are going to, we are going to be talk about, which is a bit controversial. But let's see. Let's see how we can maybe demystify some of the. <laughs> I would say uh, more counterintuitive than controversial. I think that everybody, when we feel it, sort of, we don't talk about it or don't see it that way. I would just kind of like to start from from another angle. As our tradition to get to the innovation room, I always ask the guests guests who would they bring with them, dead or alive, uh, fiction or mm. real. Mm-hmm. Who would they want to be in the room with them if they are doing some innovation work? Uh, absolutely, that's a great question. There's, there's three uh, characters, I, was, I wouldn't say people because one of them is not a real person. Three characters I would really uh, like to have. Uh, first is uh, uh, Mihailo or Michael Pupin. Um, he's one of the most famous Serbian scientists of all time, next to Tesla basically. And uh, particularly at the beginning of the 20th century, he was actually much, much more popular and well-known than Tesla. He went to America from Serbia, became one of the most famous scientists over there, 
literally created technologies that help America telephonize the whole country. He invented many of the things that we use to spread telephony in America. He was the founding, one of the founding members of NASA. Uh, he won the Pulitzer Award for his um, autobiography. An absolutely brilliant innovative brain that I would really kind of like to have in the room. The second one is Coco Chanel. Coco Chanel. Very different. <laughs> exactly, because she was a complete rule breaker. I mean, uh, she started dressing women in trousers and she was breaking rules like there's no tomorrow in that particular kind of very important symbolic uh, field of fashion. Uh, why? Because she saw things completely differently. It wasn't fashion. She transformed personalities. She transformed our views of what, uh, what uh, fe femininity is all about. Uh, a very, very innovative brain if you really want to kind of break the rules. And the third one is, I think we share that one, is Edna. Ooh. Edna is, <laughs> yeah. uh, of course, for the, the inventor from um, The Incredibles. Yeah. Uh, and why? Because, uh, of course, it's, it's related to high tech. But it's not just that. I like the way she does it yeah. because it's irreverent. It's even rude to the clients to, to a certain point because you have to sometimes, as, as the Google guys very often say, make the clients uncomfortably excited. And uh, when you want to break rules, when you want to go into the new territories, you sometimes you have to can do it in slightly unusual tonalities, but also being funny, having or witty, having that spark in your, in your yeah. eye as well. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you know that I love Edna. Um, and I think it's really, really uh, the impact of having these kind of personalities, dead or alive, like real or fictional, in, in when you're doing some innovation work. It's just if you imagine them in the room as you're doing what you're doing and, and uh, almost think of what would they say? And I do that with Edna constantly thinking, if Edna is in my room, what would she tell me as I'm doing this work? What would be her point of view? And that's extra kick to go a bit bolder, to go a bit more... Uh, more innovative, to be a bit more innovative. Uh, uh, absolutely, and they're all kind of great role models and that, that is one of the kind of key exercises that we very often do in innovation thinking and creative thinking sessions. How would the so-and-so, could be a person, could be a, another company, do exactly what you do, Mr. Client, whatever the client is in the room on that particular day. And sometimes you get quite surprising results. I had that same situation myself many times. You get a really traditional client in let's say FMCG and you say how would Apple do what you do and then suddenly something opens up that ideas are kind of coming coming out like there's no tomorrow and even the clients are surprised themselves. We have had in, in the technology sector we have had a lot of uh, masculine figures and a lot of male role models or successful people um, and as an industry it's a very male dominated um, industry in terms of the people who work in the industry, the people who would invest in the industry and the people who would get the investment in the industry. Um, and it, it's, but, but we know, uh, we, as we were having a conversation before, we know that it's uh, probably not true to categorize that it is a male-dominated industry in the traditional way of explaining an industry being male-dominated. Because we we see a lot of feminine traits in the success of the tech. 
Um, you have a different way of looking at this um, this matter and, and explaining what um, what is going on really in the femininity and masculinity mm. that exists in the in the tech industry. Uh, thank you very much for that question because it, it, it may sound a little bit counterintuitive to to your viewers uh, when we think about it because uh, the whole of the IT and all the data and all the problems that we kind of see usually associated with IT is that male domination we don't have kind of enough uh, uh, women in in the industry and that is true from the point of view who delivers things but in order what how to think how to behave to be successful in the digital space in the digital age uh, my experience tells me that many, many more uh, or much more, uh, we need much more feminine traits, so-called traditional feminine traits, how many people did define it. And we can go into kind of scientific this or that, but there's lots of research that also supports that, that there are certain kind of, uh, uh, I would say, gen gender-dominated uh, uh, traits that are kind of more pronounced in, in different genders. And I believe that for the success in the digital space, some of the traditional, more feminine traits are actually really, really important. Uh, what are they? Well, dialogue, for a start. But if you think about the, the, the space of digital transformation, for example, mm -hmm. or delivering any of the digital projects, they're very complex things, right? Very complex spaces involving a lot of, not just a lot of people, but a lot of different people. People with different expertises, people with different experiences, people with different cognitive and neuro traits as well. And we know the ID is a very, could be a very neurodiverse space as well, or even neurodivergent space, space as well. About 35% I've had one figure while I was at Google, 35% of their engineers are on the autistic spectrum. Mm. So that means that there's a lot of neurodivergence there. How are you going to gel? How are you going to organize a lot of those people to deliver along the same lines uh, re uh, relating to the strategy and the objectives of that particular project. It's impossible without a dialogue. It's just impossible to go and order people to just do a certain thing and that's it. And that's why uh, uh, being able to keep the dialogue and develop the dialogue in the digital space becomes a hugely, hugely important thing. Why? Because in the digital space, very often in the digital world, we are realizing now that the old model of um, running the companies, which is command and ordering and the alpha masculinity um, hero executive or whatever. Uh, at Google, they called it a hippo, the highest paid person in the room with an opinion. Um, it's just not, not cutting it really well very often. Can we, can we go a bit more um, um, deep into what do we mean by dialogue? Do, do you mean how to get people to create that Literally. safer space well, it, for people It's based on several traits, but just being able, first of all, to talk. So have open lines of communication all the time. You have to actually ask people first, what do you think is the best way to do this in just instead of just kind of ordering them or telling them, what is the best way to do that? Use a lot of collaborative sprints at the beginning to define the shape and the scope of the project instead of just giving them and say, Del deliver this. Or say, well, I wasn't part of this. I don't agree with these parts. This is wrong. Get them to be part of the, of the project at the, the, the very, very beginning. Scope it together. Develop the strategy and all the other steps uh, together. And then basically we kind of a big part keep of, doing A it. big part of having a good dialogue uh, stems from being a good listener. Absolutely. So that, that, uh, and that comes from ep empathy. Yeah. So a di dialogue cannot happen without empathy. And that's kind of another, I would say, 
feminine trait probably that we can use. Empathy is key in the digital space. First of all, we got officially in the design thinking methodology, got empathy as one yeah. of the phases. We call yeah. it, used to call it uh, insight generation in the rest yeah. of marketing, but never mind. So empathy is a key thing. The second one is the whole, everything we do in business and in marketing in many ways is actually just walking backwards mm -hmm. from what our customers and clients actually need. What are their needs? What are their anxieties? What are their pain points? What problems are we solving for them? And then we walk backwards and say, how are we going to do it? So we have to empathize with our external audiences. We have to empathize with internal audiences, which is predominantly our employees. How are we going to organize these large groups, usually of quite diverse and very often divergent people into cohesive themes? It's impossible if you don't understand them, how they think, how they feel, how they work. So empathy is the key for dialogue and cooperation, which is a third big thing. It's impossible to work well in digital space without would you, cooperation. Would, would you be able to give an example of one of, uh, one of the successful tech leaders that has demonstrated this in a visible way that we could... But look what's happening with the transformation of Microsoft in the last, mm -hmm. let's say, seven, eight, maybe ten-ish years. Um, how much of the talk has been about collaboration, about cooperation, about doing things together, conceiving things together instead of command, mm -hmm. just do, do this, thing, this thing because we told you to do this thing. It just doesn't work anymore. Particularly, it doesn't work. So I would say Microsoft is really good. And there's kind of lots of other companies, Google, for example. We've got constantly talk between each other. There's one mantra inside Google that says there's no such thing as too much information mm. or communication. And we, are, we were constantly talking to each other. We called it dog fooding and fish fooding. Whenever you find your, your teams that you're doing projects with, whenever you find a tiny morsel of something that could be interesting or inspiring, you immediately share it. And you find some a kind of a bigger chunk, dog fooding, you immediately share it as well. So this constant stream of those communications being exchanged between the members of the team because we always find ways through that to either inspire each other to kind of push us into a slightly different direction creatively or in mm. the ways of thinking and collectively through all of that you sort of kind of get better solutions. Mm. And even people like for example we know how um, how Steve Jobs was a great example of how do you create a product that even the market doesn't know they might like or they might need. So being able to have that empathy to, to, to understand what well, the, where the market is. Exactly. But it's a big myth. I mean, I, I know people who actually worked with him and uh, talked about whether it's exactly how usually that myth was created. It's not exactly like that, that there are elements of it. But actually, he wasn't kind of that getting that idea just out of the blue. Uh, he was, uh, Apple is still doing it, and at the time was doing lots of market research. And he was reading that research. He just didn't allow the research to dictate what to do. But he was getting kind of inspiration. He said, I'm reading between the lines. He understood that people were ready for something that is smaller, smaller than the laptop, but bigger than a smartphone. Mm. Because it came through the research. People didn't say, we need a tablet. They just said, oh, it would be great to have something. Or I do this and that, and laptop is too big, and this is too small. He said, well, that's an opportunity. Empathy. Usually, he is not connected with empathic no, thinking, yeah. but empathy actually was the underlying, I would say, underlying energy of his success. I've seen it a lot in our client base when the ones that are more successful, um, you see how they work with their teams, how much it's open culture. Mm -hmm. So a culture is a very collaborative culture. It's a very um, honest and trusting culture. 
Um, you see their body language in a meeting when, when they are discussing, or you can see exactly the, the uh, CEO or the, the most senior business leader. They won't make a decision before knowing the opinion of the other person in the room um, as part of the team that are discussing the digital transformation project. So I've seen it in the successful. After having a chat with you, I was like, oh, I can, I can completely see the feminine traits mm. or so-called feminine traits so-called, yeah. um, in, in the most successful clients that we have worked with. So it's not just Steve Jobs or Microsoft. You can see it in all different layers of implementation of technology. Even individual teams. Even within the companies, and the company may not be famous for that particular behavior, but you'll see that some of the most successful teams actually behave in that, that particular way. Uh, so it does, uh, does generate, particularly again, in the space or in the digital space, when we are delivering complex, di- diverse projects, working with a lot of diverse people, uh, and particularly younger generations of employees who simply think differently, who behave differently, their incentives work in different ways, they do not want to have a command above them, they would like to have a mentor uh, to feel psychologically safe uh, and have a sense of purpose and mission in doing their job as well, such as about salary. And we see that, and to manage those kind of people, you simply cannot do it in the old linear command ways. You just have to be more post-heroic, which is basically one of the frameworks and um, uh, now up and rising ways of thinking about leading uh, modern companies in the 21st century, particularly uh, with, with digital at heart, we have to move from the traditional heroic, alpha, macho, uh, lone cowboy type of thinking and leader into more post-heroic leader, which allows people to not just to contribute, but become essential to the project, feel uh, psychologically secure, there's lots of nurturing. And another expression that is used in that space is the leader becomes a servant to his team. It's a leadership as a service to the team as well, which is quite strange from kind of old ways of right, yeah. running, running companies, yeah. particularly big global companies. But there, there's more, there's a huge amount of academic work now in that space. And I have to mention one of the latest books in, in the space, which is Professor Miha Kerlavai from the Slovenian uh, School of Economic and Business, that's economic faculty in Ljubljana, basically. He did a book uh, under that very name, Post-Heroic Leadership, which is a kind of really good starting space to understand this particular new concept. And there's lots of success that people who think that way can actually show. It's a, it's a very, I, I could see that being a challenge for more traditional oh, yeah. um, industries to, to understand or to relate with. But, but as a technologist who is very much involved in, uh, with businesses who are transforming to be a technology business in whatever industry that they are, you can completely see that because it's too complex for one person <laughs> To, to comprehend what's possible and it's too complex to go ahead and lead a team. You need collective intelligence, you need collective clarity, you need collective, um, I don't know, the vision and, and collective motivation to, to make it happen. So definitely I, I see it as um, a great success factor for the for the businesses so that, that's a very good point let me kind of pick up on that point of complexity that's a really really important point for this way of thinking because the modern world is so complex that it's really beyond one kind of one person's ability to really meaningfully sort of figure out what to do about it uh, while doing transformation delivering projects and there's kind of two aspects to it that maybe we should mention that are very often mentioned. One is the vaca nature of the modern world. Vaca, 
the world has become volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous and that requires much, much more teamwork to actually unpick what's going on there. And the second one is that many of the problems that we are trying to resolve these days, particularly on the societal level, are the so-called wicked problems. Problems who are very difficult to sort out in a linear, old, traditional way, using even um, traditional methodologies. It requires a much more uh, joined up uh, and innovative and more empathic kind of way of trying to go through the problem and actually as we go trying to figure out what the solution or certain kind of solutions could be. That's impossible to do with teamwork, with dialogue, without cooperation and eventually without empathy. We, we keep um, referring to it being uh, so-called feminine traits, the, the traits that we talked about, but, but can we go a bit deeper in what, why, mm. like what's the background, the history, mm -hmm. why you're branding them as they're being so-called feminine? I, I, I do realize that some people may be kind of, uh, you know, uh, taken aback with this and say, oh, this is gender stereotyping or something like that. But actually, there is some science behind it as well. We know evolutionary uh, men and women do have certain, because of the social, particularly the social evolutionary aspects, not just biological, mm -hmm. but social evolutionary aspect, we do have kind of some of the traits that we, we, we know are kind of more pronounced in one gender or the other. And in that particular case, I would refer to the ocean uh, framework of defining the human personality, which is at the moment one of the most widely adopted, if not the most widely adopted uh, frameworks for defining what a human personality is all about. Uh, the other name for that is the big five, big five traits. Each of them has like four or five additional traits uh, within it. And uh, is the openness to new experiences, basically how open-minded we are or close-minded we are. Uh, DC is conscientiousness, uh, meaning how responsible we are to, uh, are we organized, are we responsible, do we pick up the cups after the meeting, our cups, and take, take it to the kitchen or not? Do we clean the stadium Stadi after, after we have after, watched exactly. the football? So let's say very conscientious uh, <laughs> Japanese, Japanese uh, uh, followers and supporters. So in that sense, to take a very kind of banal ways, but actually very life-affirming ways of that. Then we got uh, uh, E, which is extrovert, introvert, where somebody is on that particular scale. We've got agreeableness, that's A, uh, how either selfish or uh, non-selfish we are. Are we agreeable? Can we work in a team um, uh, and or just kind of think about our own interests? And then N is neuroticism, how much of the kind of irrational emotions and irrational behavior we, we, we have or we show. There's lots of studies globally, um, I've just referred to one, 55 countries actually looking at men and women, how they actually scale on, uh, on, on the ocean scale. And it seems that women, for example, do index much higher on uh, conscientiousness and agreeableness. Also on neuroticism a little bit, but that for many kind of researchers is the consequence of not all of the societies are equal more rational, more egalitarian societies. So, of course, there's going to be uh, some sort of that happening. But conscientiousness and agreeableness across different cultures, different countries, seems to be highlighted on, on, on the female side. Which means that ability for empathy, ability, ability for cooperation, ability for building relationships and relating to other people uh, is increased. And that's exactly what we need in the digital space. Brilliant. So we say digital is from Venus. Well, I would, I would genuinely repeat and agree with, uh, with the name of your whole series of, um, of uh, interviews and content that you're doing uh, for this series. Uh, traditional businesses were 
from Mars and were conceived very often as a battlefield entities. You know, even marketing has uh, uh, borrowed a lot of the jargon from the army. We talk about campaigns, we talk about all this kind of uh, military jargon. Many businesses were actually built to fight, to fight in the market, to fight in a way that the, the, the conception of unity in many companies, the unity of an army platoon. Mm. And that was, I would say, the old notion. In the modern world, for the new kinds of employees, for the new kinds of challenges that we are facing, it's going to be very difficult to be successful around having a tra digital transformation uh, uh, at its heart and actually thinking about doing it successfully with that way of thinking. Well, thank you very much, Lahaz, for, for the great um, insights and, and the conversation on a very um, interesting topic, definitely. Um, if, if our audience wants to know more about um, this or more about your um, other works, um, how can they get in touch or read more? A very simple way, but I'm afraid it's connected to LinkedIn. Um, my LinkedIn profile, that's the store window. And everything I sort of do, I post on LinkedIn first and foremost. Um, this particular talk is also, I've turned it into, into a text, into an article that is going to be there as well. And thank you very much for the opportunity to actually do it together. No worries. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us in the Innovation Room. We hope it sparks some ideas. Want to learn more about what we do? Maybe you could even be our next guest. And spark some ideas yourself. Find us at Geeks Limited. And join us again soon. Because real change never stops.